cheers. Sorry, everyone. I'm I'm so full. Tom and I, before we started the podcast, we just devoured that realtor Ron's bones. Just like just his bones. Just his bones. Very, very hard to do, but worth it. We've just been devouring Ron's crispy hollow bones all morning, so we're quite full from a voluminous frenzy of bone munching. Listen, I fucking warned Ron. I warned him last week on last week's episode, Ron, if we don't get this fucking place, we're gonna get you. We're gonna eat your bones. And you know what I did? I unhinged my jaw and sucked them down my gullet. And now Ron's dead. We didn't get the apartment. We got a different, better apartment. Yeah. With a much nicer realtor who's a very sweet lady and also I think the owner and she's just wonderful. Yeah, she is. She's not fucking Ron. Yeah, more importantly, she's not the goddamn Hawaiian shirt wearing Bill Engvall looking motherfucker Ron. Ron's dead. Ron's dead and Media Majors is stronger for it. Liam, what is this podcast about other than killing and devouring our nemeses? Bones. Uh, this is a podcast called Media Majors. It's a storytelling yes, it podcast is. about major media. Each week, your hosts, Liam Sr., who is me, and Tom Lockney, who's the other guy, research yep. and tell true stories related to our fields. I like movies and television. I like video games and internet culture. And to give us an extra level of difficulty in doing this, we've decided to try to thematically connect both these stories. Yes. I don't know if we're going to say that every time, but I thought we would this time. So today we're going to sort of talk about ceremonies. And masters of them, yes. And Liam, I believe that you are starting us off this week. Louis B. Mayer was the head of Metro Golden Goldman Mayer, and he had an idea. He wanted to create an organization that would mediate labor disputes without unions and improve the film industry's image. He met with actor Conrad Nagel, director Fred Niblo, and the head of the Association of Motion Picture Producers, Fred Beatsanto, just to discuss these matters. He met with some of the top people in the industry, and they decided to form the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. At that original meeting, there was an idea of having this elite club have some sort of banquet, but no awards were mentioned at this time. They also established that membership into the organization would only be open to people in one of the five branches of the industry. The executive, the legislative, the judicial, the the two towers, and Return of the King. No, it was actors, directors, writers, technicians, and producers, which is kind of still how it is today. After their brief meeting, Mayor gathered up a group of 36 people involved in the industry and invited them to a formal banquet in L.A., on January 11th, 1927. Fancy. That evening, Mayer presented to those guests what he called the International Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences, and everyone in the room became a founding member of the Academy. They dropped the international because they wanted to just be an American thing. Mm, okay. So, you know. I got good old jingoism. Still white people being white people. Several organizational meetings were held prior to the first official meeting, May 6th, 1927. The first president was elected, as well as the vice president. They invited another 200 people into the academy within the first couple of months. The initial concerns of the group had to do with labor. However, as time went on, the organization moved further away from involvement in labor management arbitrations and negotiations. 
One of the committees that was formed in those initial days was the Awards of Merit Committee. The Awards of Merit for Distinctive Achievement is now what we call an Academy Award. Oh, okay. Mayor's purpose in creating the award was to t- unite the five branches and also so he could focus on how to get around and circumvent labor disputes. So basically, oh. the entire reason okay. the Oscars were founded was he was like, I can work on basically getting away with really shady business Fucking if I just God give these it. if I just give these dumb poets some trophies that said they did a good job. Oh my god. And in that year, 1927, sorry, the next year, 1928, the first Oscar ceremony was announced. It was not open to the public and would not be televised until the 50s. It was just an an industry masturbatory session. Since its inception, the Academy Awards has always been plagued with controversy. From the standard whack criticism to the lack of diversity in both its panels and nominations, to a couple of very strange incidents and to some incidents that are actually good? Well, today, we're going to examine all the Oscar moments that have happened that are somewhat important and worth talking about, and then we're never going to talk about the dumbest ceremony ever, 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 ever again. (laughs) So this is the first and last time we'll be talking about the goddamn Oscars. Actually, no, it'll be the second time that we've talked about the Oscars because we did have that one intro a while ago. Yeah. Look at that. This time, Tom Lockney's the one that remembers media majors of years past and not Liam. Do you remember the episode number? Absolutely not. But seriously, like, I've been trying to tackle the Oscars, and I assumed when we started this podcast there would be, like, tons of stories. It is so boring. It is, like, this this is literally all the best stuff I could find. Hey, here's what you do to make the Oscars more interesting. Just have it have like fake storylines like WWE so that way every <gasps> single year. So yeah, so that way every single fucking year of the Oscars some shit goes down like when Moonlight thought it lost and then it won. Because if that happened every year, then I'd actually give a shit and watch the Oscars. Wow. Listen, Academy, Tom just gave you a fucking golden goose. Yeah, you can have that. Tom doesn't care. I don't give a fuck. Make me interested in your goddamn product for ring, once. Ring, ring, ring. Ring, ring, ring. Oh, Tom, your Hollywood phone's ringing. Hello. Tom, it's Hollywood. I did this bit in a Shmanime episode. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's look through the Oscars. Okay, yeah, let's. Hey, Tom, did you know that the first ever Oscar was awarded to a Nazi? Ooh, ah, ooh, ah, who was it? The first ever Best Actor Oscar was given to a German actor named Emil Jennings. Hmm. He would later, this was in 1928, and he would later go on to star in Nazi propaganda movies in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, no, like, people people do not like to talk about the fact that America was super sympathetic to the Nazis pre-Pearl Harbor. And then during the shooting of his last film, Wo ist er Belling? Was, it was aborted when Allied troops entered Germany in the spring of 45. Good. Emil Jannings reportedly carried his Oscar statuette with him on the battlefield as proof of oh his former association with Hollywood. However, his active role in Nazi propaganda meant that he was subject to denazification and a comeback attempt would not be legal. That's good. That's good. Hey, everybody, this is Media Majors reminding you, fight Nazis. Well, you see... Tom, he actually wasn't supposed to win the first Oscar. There was a revote because the first person, sorry, that's not tr- correct. The first creature Lassie? that was Mr. going to be Ed. awarded the best actor Oscar, close, 
Rinten Ten. Oh German Shepherd Rinten Ten. Rinten Ten was a German Shepherd and was an international movie star. Uh, rescued from a World War I battlefield by an American soldier, Duncan trained Rinten Ten and got him silent film work. By the first Oscars, the Academy had chosen the dog Rinten Ten to win the award, but Louis B. Mayer said, We're not going to give the first Oscar we ever do to a dog. Oh my god, why not though? I want this to be a legitimate organization. Eat my fucking ass, dude. Like, you invented this to circumvent labor disputes. Have a little fun with your bullshit masturbation ceremony. Give it to the dog. Hey, Rin Tin Tin, you've been a fucking excellent boy. Have a statue. You don't know what this means because you're, a, you're dog a dog and you don't know what it is to be sad. Also, kind of upsetting that the first American Oscars, it was between two Germans, a shepherd yeah. and a man. Get it together. And we really, and we really screwed the pooch on that oh. one. Fucking dunk. Who let the dogs win? Not Louis B. Mayer. <laughs> Why in God's name? Everybody stopped listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's just like one too many in a row. <laughs> so there was a revote. And because of this, animals are no longer uh, eligible to be nominated for Academy Awards. Fuck off. That's such bullshit. Renton Tin died in 1932, and one of the founding members of the Academy, Daryl F. Zanuck, would go make a bunch of movies about it. Not about the real Renton Tin, but just the, a character of Renton Tin as a German Shepherd. So one of the Academy members was like, oh, I'll just use this dog's fake life to further my own career after the dog's dead. Oh, that's sad. In 1929, the members of the Academy in a joint venture with the University of Southern California created America's first film school. The staff was, sorry, the faculty was, you know, D.W. Griffith, the person who invented screen like modern cinema and screenplays and like how to direct a movie Ernest loops who is the inspiration for uh the t uh, hollywood post the 70s like everyone who makes movies in the 70s cites Ernest loops as the huge influence and daryl f zanuck who made a career of himself by exploiting a dead dog named renton tin <laughs> god so a weird faculty to say the least that's oh, gruesome. and William C. DeMille, who I think was oh, yeah. re related to Cecil B. DeMille, who in 1953, the first ever televised Oscar, won Best Director in an upset. And I only bring that up so that you could say his name again. Cecil B. DeMille. Uh, so let's jump a couple of decades. In the 1970s, yes, Marlon Brando became involved with the American Indian Movement aim and uh despite being the favorite to win the best actor oscar for uh, the godfather in 72 brando decided to boycott the ceremony as a protest against the ongoing siege at wounded knee and his views on how american native americans were being portrayed in hollywood movies or on american television i know i said american indian movement first but that's what the organization was called i yeah. just want to clarify and i'm not sure what the thought towards the term american indian is by actual Native Americans, so I'm just going to stick with Native American, but yeah, r if, if, if you are of Native American descent, write to us, because I'm curious if, if American Indian is considered kosher. I imagine not, but like, who knows? Not white people, that's for sure. So, in 1973, Brando contacted AIM about providing a person to accept an Oscar on his behalf, and uh, the Native American leaders picked a young woman named Sachin Littlefeather, 
who would collect the award. She was a uh, activist. And I also believe like a actress. I've read conflicting reports on this. Brando wrote a 15-page speech about the ongoing federal siege at Wounded Knee for Little Feather to give at the ceremony. However, when a producer met her backstage, because this was totally, you were allowed to send in someone to uh, receive an award on your behalf. Um, a producer met her backstage, and he threatened to physically remove her or have her arrested if she spoke on stage for more than 60 seconds. Jesus fucking Christ. She wore a traditional Apache dress for the occasion, and most of her stuff on stage was completely in- improvised. And I don't know, have you seen the clip? Of her. I've seen the clip. Yeah. I remember as I rem- I don't remember how old I was when I saw it, but I saw like a documentary where she was talking about it. And oh, you know, no, no, I took a I took a uh, Native American literature course my senior year of college, and we we watched footage about her and learned about her. And like oh, it, like fucking classic, fucking shitty assholes. Uh, we're like, she's not even a Native American. Like, she's faking it. And then it, like, very classic. I mean, you see echoes of this now with people being like, Anita Sarkeesian's faking being harassed. She's not a real gamer. Like, oh, uh, man. fucking eat my ass with ketchup and mustard. Uh, she then went backstage and read the 15-page speech in its entirety to journalists who are waiting. Yeah. Roger Moore. God, what a fucking rad lady sorry Mm -hmm. continue roger much more rad than brando who was a sexist abusive pig roger moore who presented the award stated in his autobiography that he took the oscar home with him and kept it in his possession until it was collected by an armed guard sent by the academy oh my god (laughs) wait why would you get an armed guard i don't know from james bond from the guy oh my god Roger Moore. If Roger, if Roger fucking makes a single move, you gun him down in his home. That Oscar, that Oscar belongs to Brando. Send in the Rin Tin Tin soldiers. Oh my god. Bunch of dogs. Littlefeather's appearance prompted the Academy uh, to rule out future proxy acceptances of Academy Awards. Hmm. Even though they've done that for awards that are earned posthumously. All right, so we're going to end it by talking about the hosts. The hosts with the mosts. There have been many Oscar hosts. They usually give it to comedians because I'd say they probably have the best skill set and experience for hosting something like this. But in the early days, it was like actors. It was like a group of actors. Oh, God. Could you imagine sitting in a ceremony for three to four hours while actors hosted... A ceremony about who the best actors were. I would fucking go insane. I'd rather go to fucking church. I would rather go to church where they speak just Latin. So like James Stewart and Bob Hope would trade zingers on stage, oh, and I feel like people boy, were like, oh boy, oh boy, oh just boy. to being like, "Yep, this is what I want to spend my Sunday brunch doing." <laughs> now, actors have host. Basically, what happened was. After, I think, Johnny Carson hosted and did a great job, it was mostly comedians. Whoopi Goldberg hosted, Billy Crystal's hosted a bunch. Uh, And sometimes they would go back and forth. Hugh Jackman hosted, and he kicked ass. Neil Patrick Harris hosted, and he sucked. But the strangest hosting choice has to go to the year when Anne Hathaway and James Franco hosted the Oscars. Wait, what? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, people forget, but this happened. See, I think what happened was, this was during the time of, like, Seth Rogen's first rise, 
And so James oh. Franco was seen as like his funny character actor friend who had also been in who like, was like plays also and, hot. Like, yeah, and also really hot and did like a bunch of weirder actual movies too. And when Hugh Jackman hosted, he pulled Anne Hathaway on stage in the opening number for a bit. And I just think some coked up exec was like, that's who we get. Because I think someone dropped out and they, they wanted to change it. I, I don't know. But it's like, you'll watch back. It's super clunky. They have no idea what they're doing. They oh, can't sucks. really deliver jokes very well. It's like the reason, like, Neil Patrick Harris can deliver a joke when he's on a sitcom. But delivering a joke on a sitcom and delivering a joke when you're hosting a telethon thing is super different. And that's why I thought his Oscars was like also really shit. I kind of I kind of can't even like hold it against them though, because if somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, we want you to host the Oscars," like, what are you, are you gonna say no? Fucking of course not. A lot of people have said no. A Wait, lot really? of people. Have, oh god, yeah. No one wants to host the Oscars. <laughs> it's it's like three weeks of it's it's three weeks to rehearse it. It's so over the top. It's never good. It's always gonna go wrong. You're under a microscope. Like, it, yeah, no. There are people who have refused to, like, to, to go to the Oscars. People have, people have refused to host. The worst actual host of the pa- of the 20th century was Seth MacFarlane. Oh, Christ. Who did some of the worst, most childish shit, and it was so bad. Seth MacFarlane hosted, and he sang a whole song about how he's there are actresses in the room that we have seen their boobs because sometimes they are topless in movies. It's literally like a 12-year-old wrote the Oscars. Seth, I hate you. So there's only been one host to drop out of the Oscars after like a lot of, after after he made the cover of Entertainment Weekly. They, the Entertainment Weekly usually does a cover on them and stuff. Uh, D.B. Cooper, right? Yeah, it was D.B. Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> He dropped out of the Oscars when he dropped, he dropped out of that out of fucking plane. plane. Yeah. Uh, no, so Brett Ratner, he's the director of Rush Hour, Rush Hour Two. They were gonna get Brett. Hold on, Ratner. hold on, hold on, hold on. He's the he is most famous for a picture of him reading and signing the Big Book of Butts. He's kind of a pig, and uh, he was gonna direct the 2012 Oscars where Eddie Murphy was gonna host. Oh wow. Wow. So during a production meeting, they were talking about rehearsals, and Brett Ratner said, and uh, about to use some harsh language, uh, uh, but I, I I, feel it needs to be said because the reaction was appropriate. Mm-hmm. When asked about rehearsal, Ratner said, rehearsal is for faggots. And then wow. Murphy dropped out of hosting the next day. Anyways, that's all the stories I have on the Oscars. We're never going to fucking talk about it again on this podcast. I'm okay with that. Unless something crazy happens. All right. Liam, thank you for the, the that little anthology piece on the Oscars. I think it's time, though, that we heard from another show on the network. It can't, it can't just be us talking. Take it away. Oh, Tom, I have bad news. It'll probably be me talking. Do you find yourself unable to watch television? Who has the time? Well, luckily, we do. I'm Liam Sr. I'm Josh Phillips. We host a podcast where we watch old cancel TV for For you. Musty TV, every Thursday on the Major Cast Network. My father says we're crazy. My mother won't talk to me anymore. I tell you, advertising, it's just getting better and better. Better and better. Actually, yeah, we should, maybe also we should say. Oh, yeah, this will, yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, speaking of advertising, also, we want to take a little break to thank 
spawn on me uh, for advertising media majors on their podcast. If you listen to their most recent episode, episode, episode 178. 178, it's a it's a great fireside chat discussion with a bunch of really smart developers at GDC. Spawn on Me is a POC-led podcast that highlights people of color in, in the industry, in the games industry, and the issues that affect them. And they put out the call on Twitter for smaller podcasts looking to grow to send them ads. And uh, we sent them ours as well as the premise of our show. And we got an email back saying, oh, you guys are perfect will advertise your show on the next episode on and on episodes in the future um we're honored to hear our ad on spawn on me it is one of my favorite gaming po- i mean it no it is my favorite gaming podcast it's it's a it's so fucking good y'all spawn on me is so fucking good listen to their program it's it's great it's great and they're some cool ass dudes they are doing some really 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 smart stuff in in just games podcasting and and we couldn't be happier to be featured on their show so yeah thank you spawn on me tom liam i think it's time for uh well we made a deal long long ago (laughs) after the incident in a very dark cave both naked and covered in eels that you would tell a story after I tell a story. Yes, and if I don't, a witch comes and takes my big toes. I thought you were going to say takes your virginity for some reason. (laughs) I honestly don't know where my head was at for that one. Chapter one. Aristar is born. Aristar? Aristar is a gaming mascot. Don't worry about it. Maybe that one was a little too deep a cut. I only know one gaming mascot, and he's back, baby. On June 4th, 1979, Ryan Davis was born. Tales say that Jeff Gersman recruited him in 2000 to work at GameSpot, where he performed customer service. Soon, Davis finds himself on the editorial staff and eventually becomes the co-host of GameSpot's On The Spot. What's GameSpot's On The Spot? It was a video series about video games. And it's very easy to see why he found himself in this position. Uh, it's, it's weird. For a very long time, a lot of the people making video content in games media had no idea what they were doing. That doesn't surprise me in the fucking least. Yeah, they'd signed on to be writers, not broadcast personalities. A lot of them were uncomfortable, awkward, or simply trying to feel out this new type of content. It's called an improv class, you nerds. <laughs> Ryan Davis experienced none of this when ryan walked in front of a camera he knew what was up and so did you he was the fucking best at what he did he was he was the cool kid and not like not like the asshole cool kid that you know shoves you at a locker no he was he was the dude that everyone liked because he liked everyone but his full potential as an internet personality is not realized until chapter two, Master Blaster of Ceremonies. Jeff Gersman is fired over his review of Kane and Lynch in 2008. Did we talk about this on the Gertzman Gate episode? Yeah. Yes, we did. Familiar. I believe that's episode five? My God, dude. You have an encyclopedic knowledge of this show. Davis is one of several to jump ship from GameSpot, and he joins Gersman to co-found GiantBomb.com. 
unlike GameSpot, Giant Bomb is a truly personality-driven website. In fact, it's one of the first. It forges the path for personality-based games media content, and in doing so, Ryan Davis emerges as one of the greatest MCs in the medium. For my money, he was the first truly successful personality in games media. It's funny how I remember when we were talking about um, the for the uh, uh, please retweet story a couple weeks ago. You're talking about how the woman Tara Long and Megan Farrokhmanesh in Polygon who drove to make it like uh, creator based or not creator based uh, care, like these personality um, driven yeah personality driven stuff. I feel like for video games, I-, I would argue that especially for video game emceeing of any form, be it reviews or videos or something, or let's plays, that's so much more important than I think for like something like film criticism or music criticism or stuff. Because uh, like people loved Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel because of how they played off of each other and stuff. And it's to me, it, it feels like that type of fan base with you know the, this Ryan Ryan Davis doll. Yeah, yeah. In that era, you know, you had your Adam Sesslers and Jeff Keeley's, who we've talked about, but they're both MCs I really like and respect. But there was there was no one like Ryan Davis. He proved that being a personality was not only viable but important, and he paved the way for much of what was to come in games press personality driven content. Uh, To be honest with you, he's a large part of the reason why a lot of the major personalities in the games press don't fucking suck, unlike many other subcultures. He showed people how to be this, this captivating human being, and he showed them how to do it kindly. You know, this wasn't some, like, YouTuber bullshit. He wasn't, like, shrieking slurs. He didn't do drama videos. He was just... He was just the funniest, nicest, most outgoing dude in in the games press. You know, like, when he came on screen and you saw him and you heard him speak, you just knew. I can't... I can't even capture in words just... You see this guy, Ryan Davis... And, and you just are, there was nobody like him, nobody like him ever. This dude was fucking funny as hell. He was cool. He made everybody feel welcome. Like the fact that he was able to be just the, the most boisterous, wonderful human being, it, it is, it has never been replicated. It has never been replicated. There is nobody like Ryan Davis. And this is why Giant Bomb stood atop the throne of personality-driven games journalism. Ryan Davis put them there. You know, don't and, and, and like bad respect to everybody at Giant Bomb and all those guys. I do not think that Giant Bomb would be the same website without Ryan Davis. I I don't think anybody would contest that. I don't even think that they would. So, chapter three on June twenty ninth, twenty thirteen. Ryan Davis married Anna Davis. And on July 3rd, he died of sleep apnea at the age of 34. I cannot describe to you how much this affected the entire gaming community. Literally, I, 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 I like remember where I was 
when I heard that Ryan Davis died. You know, it, it was that type of event. Everybody on Twitter was talking about it. It was like, man, it was like a fucking earthquake had hit. It was just a disaster. This, I mean, like, this guy had been in our lives for a decade. He, he, was, he was like one of the first people doing video content it, it, over at GameSpot. And then he pioneers personality-based content. It was, it, it, he'd, he'd been such an extraordinarily present figure in our lives and was such the uh, next level, like, god of it. And, and then he just died. And, like, right after he'd been married at, oh, God. Like, I remember I remember watching the Idle Thumbs Surgeon Simulator livestream tribute that they did for him and just, like, fucking crying my eyes out, you know? Mm-hmm. It, and that was everybody. And nobody, and nobody knew what to do. This had never happened before, and it hasn't happened since. There were, of course, uh, several pieces written about him. Here's an excerpt from Giant Bomb's official statement. Quote, Ryan was a good friend to all of us. It's odd to remember that for someone who could be so acerbic at times, and despite knowing him for almost a decade, I honestly don't recall ever actually being mad at him. He had an unconventional type of kindness that expressed itself more strongly the longer one knew him, and despite his teasing nature, he always managed to make his close friends feel loved when his attention turned towards you. Justin McElroy also wrote an incredible piece about his relationship to Davis as, as a fan and as a colleague in the game's press. Here are two excerpts. The first, quote, You ever get that feeling when you go out on a weekend, say, and you worry that whatever you're doing, you might be missing something better, more epic somewhere else. Being around Ryan had the exact opposite effect. If you were with him, you were at the cool kid's table. Something amazing, or at least really, really dumb, was going to happen, and you knew you'd get to be around for it. If you can tell me how to replace someone like that, Someone who's capable of filling a room with that kind of energy, I'm all ears. Because at this precise moment, I don't have a solitary clue. End quote. Uh, Here's the second excerpt. If Ryan was reading this, he would have already busted my chops about how I had managed to make this piece not only maudlin, but somehow about myself. And that makes me miss him so much. Makes me so bottom of my core sad that I want to throw up. If there's a better compliment I can pay to the guy than the fact that I even miss him picking on me, I'm not sure what it is. I've been doing this for years now, and with every word I've written or said, I've become more convinced that it turns out I was right about one thing. The trick was a simple one. The secret to being as good as Ryan Davis was just this. Be Ryan Davis. Chapter 4. Probably the most immediate thing to come to mind in light of Davis's death is how Giant Bomb coped. They took a hit, obviously. Gersman had known Davis since they were teenagers. 
They'd lost their friend, uh, their colleague. Planned series were canceled. They were in the middle of this transition period, hiring new people and spreading their business. People were moving across the country when this happened, uh, but they endured. Obviously, Giant Bomb is still around and thriving, I think. Uh, but the more important thing, I think, is how we see Davis's influence in the modern game's media landscape. Gersman has not replaced Davis, but uh, he has become Giant Bomb's de facto MC. You can see how their relationship and Davis's influence has affected the way he runs the show, I think perhaps most visibly during Giant Bomb's E3 live streams. Gersman is an incredible master of ceremonies, and you really do see a lot of Davis in the way that he conducts himself and conducts those uh, really fun genuine human talks with people in the mainstream games press culture you can feel people emulating his war warmth there is no way that the McElroys don't think of davis when they make their content there is no way justin McElroy writes a piece like that without emulating davis in his life and his brand uh however i think uh, we see davis most in waypoints austin walker he himself has explicitly stated this in a Reddit AMA done in December of 2016. Quote, While I was never lucky enough to know Ryan, as a fan, I was keenly aware of his amazing way of bringing a room of people together. In prepping for our huge 72-hour live stream, I thought a lot about how well Ryan was able to find common ground between people who had very little to do with each other. He was a master MC and I aspire to bring even a fraction of the joy he brought others. And to be honest with you, I think that Walker does an admirable job. Again, as with Gersman, I think you can see the influence of Ryan Davis in, in the way that, he, that Walker treats people and encourages healthy and comedic conversation. So just as Davis's death was felt, so is his legacy four years later. Mrs. Davis, I hope that you know that your husband will always be remembered as one of the greatest figures to touch the gaming medium. We all miss him, and I hope I did him justice. We'll never forget you, Ryan. Powerful <laughs> stuff. How you feeling, bud? Oh, God. I'm feeling a little weepy, but I, I got a lot of my crying out while uh, doing the research for this story. I saw that we would be releasing an episode on July 3rd, and I knew that I had to do this story. Because it's been four years since he died, and I think that we really have had the opportunity to see how his legacy has you know, really taken hold of the way that people conduct themselves in this, in this industry. And it's really, really good. So, sometimes, <laughs> on this show, we talk about really sad stuff that's kind of a huge fucking bummer even if we try to put a happy spin on it and so we uh always end the show with a segment that we like to call self-care corner where we talk about something nice that happened in our lives so liam i think that you're gonna start us out 
I'm so sorry. Hang on a second. I, I, we never tell each other the story, and I debated telling Liam the theme for this week should be someone who died too soon, and I thought that a it would spoil the story, uh, which clearly nailed Liam right in the right in the gut, and also would have been made for a real sad episode. So I told him, Master of Ceremonies, I tricked you, and now we're both kind of crying. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm just I'm just depressed. Oh God. Yeah, Liam, what's your self care oh, corner? So let me think. Oh, the doy. I released two albums yesterday. Yes, you did. Yesterday. And uh, I'm I kind of like halfway through making one, thought about an idea for the other one, and I just like the idea of making soundtracks to fictional movies. So uh, I make music under the name Sword Dinosaur, and I've released an album called Tarnation that is the soundtrack to a fictional 80s western called Tarnation. It's a rad as hell, and everybody should listen to it. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so that's my self-care corner. All right. Uh, I actually technically have two self-care corners, but one. Uh, the first one is... I know we just told an intense story, but this one is also a little bit intense. Um, so... Uh, I used to be like a really, really bad alcoholic, which is a weird thing for me to say because I'm 23 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, when I got back from E3, I decided that to save money for the move that I was not going to drink at all. And it's been uh, almost two weeks and I haven't had anything to drink and that's very and i haven't had any like withdrawals or something which is very good because the last time i did something like this it was not self-imposed and i had really bad withdrawal and so withdrawal i hear can be a bit of an itchy situation yeah and so i don't know i i this is my self-care corner because it's it's like a real uh measurable milestone of the progress that I think that I've made and I'm just really happy with the fact that I'm not the horrible alcoholic listen to early episodes of this podcast for a taste of that yep (laughs) um so that's that's my self-care corner is I really think that I have a handle over my addictions which is nice and the other one is that I've been helping this this one has a point uh the other one is that I've been helping i've been like an assistant caretaker for this uh woman and her uh, severely disabled son or this woman and her husband and her severely disabled son and guys that whole fucking family loves each other more than anybody has ever loved each other and and so that fucking family is rad as hell hey guys gonna you know what people don't like people to get political on their podcast but go fuck yourself this is our podcast for the love of god call your senators yes sweet. Dear yeah, God. that's why I brought Fucking this up. Christ on a stick. Yeah. Fucking please, good Lord, for the love of all things in this holy earth, God damn it, call your senators. The ACHA cannot pass. It cannot holy pass. Holy shit. Please call your senators. You can send in your self-care corners at mediamagerspodcast at gmail.com. They don't have to be intense ones like mine. They can just be, like, small little ones. Yeah, they can be fun. I mean, if you want to end it on a happier self-care corner, we have an apartment in California. Yeah, we do have an apartment in California. We're going to move there in, like, three weeks, and it's going to be great. It's going to be dope as shit. It's going to be real nice. 
Anything else? Oh, yeah. Follow us at Media Majors Cast on Twitter. I'm at Thomas Lockney on Twitter. Our, you know what? Our, our, our things are in the bio. <laughs> I'm at Call Your Dad. Yep. Call Your Dad. Yeah, guys. Call Your Dad. Tell him you love him. Call Your Dad. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating. And a review. Yes. Doesn't have to be long. Just can be like a sentence long. Hey, like the podcast. Spread word about the network. We only advertise via word of mouth. Well, right not now. anymore. Well, oh, right. Ah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, tell your friends about the network. Maybe there's a podcast on it that they'll like. Yep. If you want to get in touch with us for anything. Yeah, send us an email. You can DM us on Twitter. And as always, we'll be there for you. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.